There's this thing that dog trainers sometimes say, which is that the only thing two dog trainers can agree on is that the other person is doing everything wrong. And you know, I kind of hate that kind of way of looking at things. It's it's not how I see things. I do see I do think that there are some good dog trainers out there and bad dog trainers. There's maybe two large categories of dog trainers, but there are so many good dog trainers who are doing so many cool things, uh, and I'm always excited to learn about what they're doing. Today's conversation is with a dog trainer who is indeed doing so many cool things. I am speaking to Dom Hodgson, who uh, went from being an actor to being a tobacco salesman to starting his own dog walking business, realized he needed to learn about dog training in order to be a better walker. And now he is a pet business coach and he has his own podcast called the poodle to pitbull pet business podcast i am on his podcast this week and he is on mine and this meant that we got to have two really great conversations uh recently so if you want to learn more about me head over to his podcast if you want to learn more about him keep on listening Uh, i'm thrilled to be able to share this conversation with you Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me on the show, Annie. Uh, My name is Dom Hodgson. Uh, I am a dog trainer, a pet business coach, and a regular dog owner slash lover as well. And I live in uh, Sunderland, which is a city in the northeast of England, probably near Newcastle. That's probably where most of your listeners will maybe be familiar with the nearest. What is your business called? So there are um, two... Well, three, two main kind of arms to the business. So my original business um, was Pack Leader Dog Adventures, and I set that up in 2011. That was primarily a, a dog adventure and a luxury home boarding business, um, just myself running that. And then that developed into a training business and then an, an online training business. And I've written a bunch of books and Kind of for for the last maybe uh, three, four years, I have been mainly, uh, apart from writing, uh, I've been mainly helping other pet business owners um, to improve their marketing so they can make more of an impact with their amazing skills and services. So I first um, encountered you through your podcast. And, uh, and then I did have a chance to read a few of your, your books. I, I really love your, I l- really love your approach because to me, it gets right down to the heart of, um, what I think most dog, un- most dog unders misunderstand before they, they discover 
you know, what I like to call good dog training, which is you need to have your dog, you need to have a dog who likes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that that would be that would be my summary of your general approach. But I'm curious how you got to that point, which seems, you know, I'm saying it and we're laughing and it seems so simple. And yet, and yet it's it's actually uh it's a it's sort of a genius way to approach it. So tell me about your your path. You you started out as an actor, is that right? This is true. Yeah, many 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 moons ago. Um, that was my original passion. Uh, when I left school, I wanted to be a song and dance man. Um, and I obviously wasn't very good at that because I ended up becoming a sales rep for a, um, a tobacco company. And, uh, and I spent uh, 10 years as a sales rep, um, just living locally. Um, me, uh, my wife, Beth, who was a teacher, she's this year, she's moved into the business now. And uh, our two kids and I did that for 10 years. I want to do it for another kind of 30 years. So I left and my only interests at the time were, I knew I wanted to work outdoors. And my other interest was I had been uh, recently helping out at my local rescue center just to give something back to uh, the rescues, well, the rescue community who had given us uh, two amazing dogs at the time. And so I thought, oh, well, why don't I... I did a bit of research and I thought, why don't I set up a, a dog walking, a dog adventure business? That way I get to work with dogs and I get to be outdoors. My two passions combined. Um, and that was what I did. And uh, Pack Leader Dog Adventures was born. And I brought with me um, some marketing knowledge from my previous job. I actually probably brought more marketing knowledge than I brought dog handling knowledge <laughs> because I set up this business. And within about six months, I was pretty full but I quickly realized that I didn't know enough about dogs. So whilst I was really passionate and I was really enthusiastic and I was really keen to provide a, an enhanced adventure exercise experience for uh, my clients, sadly, I really didn't have enough um, practical dog handling knowledge. And what would happen was I would pick the dogs up. We would go for a tromp along the beach. We have some really nice beaches here in the Northeast and I would I would walk for like an hour or so, then I would let the dogs off lead and they would play and sniff and chase rabbits and stuff. And over and then I would put them back on lead again and then walk back to the van. And that would be the adventure done. And over time the dogs started to get more and more interested in each other and interested in anything that wasn't me really. <laughs> and uh the sort of final straw came one day when I was standing in the middle of this field with um a bunch of leads in my hand and I was screaming for these dogs to come back and listen and, and they were taking no notice of me at all. And and that was a real wake up call to me that my dream dog walking business had developed into a bit of a nightmare really and it was all down to me. It was all down to the, there was nothing wrong with the dogs. It was Your your energy wasn't calm and assertive enough and you weren't being the <laughs> Yeah, you weren't being the dominant leader that That's that your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I just, I just, I just play. I wasn't interested enough, you know, as we touched upon before, and uh, I was I definitely wasn't calm or assertive either. <laughs> I wasn't interested enough, and consequently, they were finding other things to do. So I, I knew I had to up my game. I knew I had to up my skills with regards to the dog training. So I got in contact with a friend, a Facebook friend actually, and she recommended a guy called John Rogerson. And as it happened, he was running a 
seven-day um, dog behaviour course nearby where I lived later that year. So I immediately signed up for it and I went on that course. And on that course, I met my who became my dog training mentor, um, a local guy, Dave Davies. And yeah, completely changed my life. You know, I, I learned how to how to bond, connect and, and, and be a, a dog's best friend. And I, I tell the story partly because you asked me, <laughs> but I tell the story because I think that's a situation a lot of pet dog owners find themselves in. You know, they, they get a dog and they think just because they love it that it's going to do what they want, you know, and or it's going to um, want to be with them. And, you know, you don't need to be a you don't need to be a dog psychologist to be a, a successful dog owner, but you do need to be vaguely interesting to your dog. <laughs> or certainly life is a lot easier if you can if you can make yourself um, more interesting to your dog. So I learned how to to play, to interact, and I learned how to enjoy it as well. You know, I realized what I was missing out on all this time when I was just basically chasing around after these dogs instead of turning the tables and making myself more interesting to them by using toys, treats, and games. And, uh, and yeah, it, it completely transformed my business and my whole kind of dog training, owning philosophy, really. Prior to that, if you had a if you had a philosophy about dog training or or a method, how would you have described it, or what did you think about dog training as like a as a career or area? I I really hadn't. I had really underestimated what was required to be a to be a successful dog walk. You know, I, I just thought I had two dogs of my own. I had a a, a mongrel um, bitch called Flo who we'd had since she was about nine weeks old. She, she was a rescue and we did everything wrong with her. And then uh, the dog who got me into the, we didn't socialize her enough. You know, as soon as we got her, we didn't, um, we didn't get enough history. Partly that could have been the rescue's fault, but we didn't, she was, well, we, to go <laughs> to tell you the whole story, we had just moved into our first house, me and Beth, um, with our young son, um, Alex, and Beth was still at university. I was doing odd jobs and singing in the clubs and stuff. And we, you know, we didn't have, um, we didn't have any money. <laughs> we didn't have any, um, life was really tough. And then we threw this, um, this rescue puppy into the mix. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what socialization was, so I just took the vet's advice and kept her indoors for a month um, whilst her, her her injections, you know, um, took effect. Um, and then uh, when I did socialize her, she was actually quite fearful. And I, I thought the best way to uh, to conquer that was to integrate her with other dogs and stuff. So I would be constantly looking for groups of people who were hanging around chatting with their dogs and trying to get my dog to play with their dogs. And she really didn't want to do that. And she really let me know that she didn't want to do that as well, you know? Um, and so, yeah, everything. You learned about dog training through, you said this one specific mentor, which I think we, you and I have talked about this before. I was jealous because I feel like I didn't have one kind of person to <laughs> to lead me down, down the path of good dog training. Did you have some kind of like epiphany moment about it? Yeah, there really was actually. Um, so the whole, uh, now bear in mind, I hadn't, so when you asked before where had my dog training knowledge come from, it hadn't come from anywhere apart from, you know, watching the likes of the Dog Whisperer on the telly, you know, and and thinking, wow, you know, he's he's he seems to have all this, he seems to have it right. But then what he was doing. Oh, yeah, I mean, I also felt the same way. Like, he, this guy, this guy's clearly amazing. 
How yeah, could you say I mean, otherwise? What's not to like, you know. I mean, he just he doesn't even have to, you know. He just looks at a dog and it does what he wants, you know. And um, and that and that's, I mean, as we know, not it's not everything as as is as it appears. But it, it, I think that having quite a strong personality, that's a really difficult thing to teach people who don't have a strong personality, you know. Um, and it often it isn't necessary anyway. But um, so that but that was all my experience. So when I went on uh, John Rogerson's uh seven day dog behavior course everything was like a, a light bulb moment almost you know because I was just the green-eyed dog walker sitting at the back of the room asking all the dumb questions and get but getting fantastic answers as well but what happened was John uh, roped in a friend of his called Dave Davies and Dave came along to do a scent work demonstration with his little rescue dog Hamish this is a, a dog who Dave got from the rescue when he was a police officer and uh, he became a um a firearms and narcotics and um cash detective dog you know and um and so anyway dave was we walked into this hall where dave was standing in the middle of the room and he just had a tennis ball and hamish was like this little scruffy little terrier but in his eyes, he was just like locked onto Dave the whole time. And Dave had him jumping in the air and spinning round and doing rollovers. And and Dave was having a great time. And Hamish was having a great time. And that that really was my like light bulb moment, you know. I just looked at it and I thought, that is what I want. I want my dogs and I want my clients' dogs to look at me like that. I want to have that kind of control where... It's not about the dog doing it because I'm telling him to do it. It's about the dog doing it because he wants to do it, you know, because he really wants to be with me. And you were, you, were, I was lucky, you know. Dave lives just uh, 20 miles down the road, so as soon as that course finished, I continued my education with him, and uh, and he, he basically taught me everything I know, you know. And then I, I went off and implemented it in the business and created all the kind of safety and um, stimulation systems and stuff that uh, that ended up help, helping my business to be a success. But it, it made a massive difference. But that, that was my light bulb moment. So interesting. I think, I think that idea that it's possible to have a dog that will do what you want the dog to do without you constantly telling the dog to do is, that's another kind of like, simple but complicated <laughs> line of line of thinking because i think we as humans are so conditioned to think like dog training is about i say sit and you sit like yeah. as if like my sit causes the sit or as if like or or like sit or else you know there's mm. always like a if you don't do it which i don't i don't know why that is all i can think is it must stem from like <laughs> us being oppressed uh, as people in, in society leads to us wanting to oppress the dogs. But yeah, it's, it's, it's possible and not hard to get a dog who wants to do what you want the dog to do. And so much of it stems from, like I was saying, what seems like your kind of raison d'etre is to teach people that like, hey, you can get your dog to like you. <laughs> yeah, you can. And, and the easiest, you make yourself, you make life a lot easier for yourself if you um, only allow the dog to enjoy doing things with you, you know? So there's a, obviously the dog wants to do stuff. Most dogs want to do things. They enjoy doing things. They enjoy running, chasing, exploring, or, you know, they might enjoy tuggy or fetch or whatever, sniffing. Um, and if you, if you're the provider, you know, which obviously requires 
requires you to do stuff. You know, it's not. <laughs> it, it, I'm not saying this is totally. You know, it's not just about walking around, calm serve, and having a dog follow you around. You know, I'm often. Uh, you know, it shout. takes effort. It should be fun effort, and if it's not fun effort, then maybe it's not. You know, the right situation for you or the dog. That's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But um. But but a big the big. The whole, you know, play with your dog, be your dog superhero type of thing. That was like the big light bulb moment for me, which became like the philosophy. But tied with that is this element of, you know, you'll make life a lot easier for yourself if you only let your dog enjoy doing things with you, you know. So I don't, uh, the the dogs that come on our adventures, we don't particularly let them play and chase each other. We much prefer to provide uh, the, the play and the stimulation through us, through the games that we play. That way the focus is always on us, you know. And um, and the, the, this is what makes the dogs kind of gravitate towards you, you know, and uh, and certainly been the case with my dogs as well. It requires you to be a little selfish and it doesn't, you know, some people don't like it, you know, when you're out about in the park and they, you know, they might see you, see you and your dog as like uh, an easy 10-minute play session for them, you know, but I, I am quite selfish with my dogs. I just, I like my dogs to enjoy um being with me <laughs> because I like enjoy being with them and yeah and it, just, it makes for an easier life basically I I tell dog owners when I take my dog to the dog park which I try and do you know only thoughtfully only after sort of gauging which dogs are there what the space is like um but I try and think of it as like this is this is uh, me and my dog hanging out at the dog park where this is me and my dog where we have a chance to hang out with him off leash and he can sniff around and the yeah. rest of this park, he has to be unleashed, but in this area he can be off leash and we're hanging out together. I mean, even if I'm, you know, 10 feet away from him or 20 feet away from him, like we're still there as a unit together. And if he wants to interact with other dogs, that's like totally cool. But like, I'm, I'm still part of that. It's not something that's, it's not like we're there as two individual units. And um, similar idea, I guess, as like, you know, I mean, as you know, I want to be selfish and I want my dog to be there for me. But I don't I I guess I feel like selfish has a negative connotation to it. But I, I understand what you're saying, that it's like you you want to be the focus. So your your business was successful because the dogs loved it and probably the people loved it because the dogs were happy and safe, which is underrated, right? I'm, I'm sure you've heard many horror stories of businesses similar to yours where where uh, things have gone awry with the dogs. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not saying it's never happened with us, but it, it's rarely happened, you know, in like nine years. And uh, it, it's for that reason, you know, I, I don't want, we. I want to go out and I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy it and I want my son Alex when he's out with the dogs, I want yeah. us to enjoy it as much as the dogs, you know, and to me, the, the first way to ensure that we're going to enjoy it is, like you said, is to make it safe, you know, and, and if I know that the dogs are always near me, and the, then I know that they're yeah. safe, um, that, you know, I'm, the, the owners are trusting me, so trusting us um, to look after so, the dogs. So was this, a, was this a financially successful business? Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah, yeah, and it's still going now. Um, we scaled it back a bit, so we've had uh, numerous staff levels um, over the last five, six, seven years, and now there's just uh, me and uh, Alex. Um, and obviously, that's as I have with what's happened with COVID. That's been quite a good thing, really, um, having quite low numbers. But um, 
yeah, we're just in a position. We have another opportunity uh, on the horizon, actually, imminently, which I might be able to tell you about next time, um, where we possibly be scaling up again. Um, but, but yeah, no, great, really great business and a great um, enjoy an enjoyable business, you know. And, and because of uh, the fact that uh, we were premium and we were niched, it, uh, it the business had good cash flow, which enabled me to, you know, in, invest in exploring other other business opportunities as well. I feel like I feel like my business and your business have, you know, we've evolved differently in that. Um, but like both towards like both we're both in these, you know, successful niche businesses for like dog owners who I think really want the best for their dogs in a very thoughtful way. Um, but, you know, I feel like I got I, I started a business by accident, like passion led to a business where you were like, I want a business. What, what can I be passionate about? Um uh, but then the other thing is, I feel like we we kind of we didn't become niche on purpose. Like we started out, you know, like uh, putting paper posters on signposts and um, you know offering free free first sessions left and right, and you know, and ended up having to um, become more and more niche. Basically, having to charge more and more because, like, to run a business right in New York City, like you can't be giving things away, mm-hmm. you know want to like if you want to have a nice space for people to come if you want to have um you know if you want to have staff that you can you can pay a living wage you know this that and the other like but then that forces us to end up having like a certain kind of client who you know and then a subsection of that client base which is like people who like get what you're doing and like it sounds like we both have this sort of like self-selecting group of like wonderful people (laughs) we're doing with us um and and i'm so interested to learn about how you then um parlayed that into a business helping dog uh budding dog professionals because i um i'm interested a because i would like to maybe know how i could do that too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) can you coach me on how to become a coach (laughs) for sure yeah for sure absolutely the other thing is i think it's a really interesting thing right now because we're totally living in a moment where people are exploring plan b options whether or not i think those options are going to be lucrative or not i mean i think some people are maybe like figuring out um, how to like dive into their hobbies at home more just because they're home more. And in a lot of cases, I think that might end up leading to some sort of professional path. So, so tell me about what your how you got into that area of the business. And also then I, I would love to learn how, um, how it's changed in, in the last, you know, six months. Yeah, sure. So the transition for me happened because I, after my kind of big light bulb moment, it took about another year of growing and then the business was full and then I took on a staff member my first staff member and we grew again and then we got full again and I kind of uh, just to tie in with what you were saying before actually I kind of I didn't want I didn't want to go big with staff and numbers um at the time anyway and so I thought well, what else can we do and uh, my the, the girl who was working for me at the time she ha- uh, was running an online um horse store um, stuff selling stuff for horsey people, you know, and um, and so and I had an idea to do the like an online dog store as well. So we uh, we did that together as like a partnership. Um, anyway, one reason or another, the partnership didn't really work out, and so I decided to do the dog store on my own 
Um, so plowed another bunch of money into that, um, only to realize once it was all kind of up and running that it really wasn't. What was the dog store? It was a uh, pack leader dog adventures, uh, like online store, basically. So it was uh, leashes. Yeah, all kind. Yeah, you know, um, high end treats, toys, apparel, um, the, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, again, this wasn't. Um, it was easier to do because I had because I was so premium with the dog adventure business. I had like a good base, you know, so I had a cash flow to be able to invest in trying something new. And I invested a lot, you know, and, and, and trusted um, a lot of um, SEO and um, Google pay-per-click in inverted commas experts who said that, um, that they knew how to do all this. And then it basically it, it didn't it didn't work out. It didn't work out for lots of reasons, but mainly I think it was because it wasn't, I, I wasn't really into it. I mean, I mean, I was into it as in whatever I do, I'll put 100, 110% into it. But that whole thing of, you know, getting the deliveries, packaging up, sent on again, like I was, wasn't enjoying that at all. Um, and I was kind of, feel, I felt like I was throwing good money after bad as well because the guys who I had um, trusted um, with the marketing side of things, um, I didn't feel like they had come through with what they had um, promised. Um, again, I'm not blaming them, blaming me. It was me who invested in it. But the, that was a kind of another big light bulb moment for me, which was, you know, the, I, I really didn't know enough about marketing. You know, I didn't know enough. I, I was passionate again. I was passionate about the the store, but I wasn't, but that passion didn't pay off in the same way as it had done for my bricks and mortar dog adventure business, you know? So uh, I, then, then I went on a big kind of marketing um, journey, similar to what I did with the, the dog training. And I invested in, you know, uh, coaches and, and courses and masterminds and all this kind of thing to basically up my marketing knowledge. So, and then I got really good at certain things, got really good at uh, building an email list, writing emails, uh, creating online courses, writing in general, you know, worked really hard to uh, to do all these things. And, um, and yeah, and then uh, th that led me to uh, writing my first couple of books and creating some, like an online dog training um, in a circle. You really thoughtfully decided you needed to get good at marketing. Yeah, I really did, yeah. I knew that was kind of a missing. Were there some like particular resources that helped you? Yeah, so I had a bunch of um, uh, like a bunch of uh, mentors along the way. Um, uh, ben Settle, uh, I would uh, he is like an email specialist, so I was in his uh, inner circle for a while. Um, a guy called John McCulloch, uh, the evil ball genius. It's his, his kind of moniker. He's um, he's like a direct response. What is an inner circle like? like it's like, a, it like, a, like a membership, like a membership, you know. Um, so you'll get access to resources and um, and uh, who else? Who else? So Dan Kennedy and stuff as well. You know, these like more kind of what a lot of uh, inexperienced business owners would, would class as being like old fashioned um, marketing methods. You know, but more tried and tested, in my opinion, um, than a lot of the sort of fluffy bunny stuff that that a lot of people do these days um so yeah so again so that was like and, and many others as well many others are uh, vicky fraser uh, she helped me um, with the book writing side of things i did her book writing course. what's the fluffy bunny stuff uh just people kind of um spreading themselves too thin across four or five different social media 
um, platforms and, and not really, you know, we're not really making any impact on any of them, you know, not really building a list. It's all just they, they put content out there or they put stuff out there and it's, it, it, it's on there one day and it's disappeared a couple hours later and then they've got to do something else. And rarely mm. is the stuff that they're putting out connecting with people in their town who could potentially buy their services, you know? Right. Interesting. Um, and of course, I see a parallel between the two things, the two areas you became an expert in first dog training and then marketing, right? It's about like getting other animals to like you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dave, one of Dave's big lessons that Dave taught me, Dave Davies was, um, you've got to get the dog's attention. You know, you have to get the dog's attention. If the dog isn't looking at you, then the dog isn't listening to you. And then, you know, so it's pointless teaching him anything unless you've got his attention, which is where the whole, you know, find out what the dog likes. And uh, I call it the dog's kryptonite. You know, got to find out what the dog's kryptonite is, find out what he likes. And once you know what that is, well, then you've got a really good chance of getting his attention. And then you've got an even better chance of teaching them something. Um, and yeah, as you say, similar with marketing, you know, you've got to, you've got to get the attention of uh, the ideal prospect, you know, and you want to, you need to put the right kind of bait out to get them to. I didn't know I was going to be as like excited about dog training as I was until I got into it. It's addictive when you feel like you can get, you you could get a dog's interest, right? Because dogs are awesome. <laughs> like, like, like if there's a dog in the room and you're the person that the dog wants to be with, like, I don't know, that to me, that's like a great thing. I, you know, in high school, I, I did this one year in high school that was like in a very small school where they actually had a dog at the school. And I think in the yearbook, I was voted nicest to dog. Now looking back, I think maybe it was also maybe like something of a social crutch. <laughs> So as you, you learned about marketing and you were successful, then was like, were you just like, oh, I need to figure out how to help other people figure this out too? Yeah. So people, and people start asking you as well, you know, so people start saying, you know, can you, you're really good at this, you know, can you show me how to do this or, you know, what, you know, and then oh, you've, you've written a book, you know, like I, I wish I could write a book, that kind of thing. And, um, and so, yeah, that, uh, I think it was 2017. I did my first uh, seminar, like I just called it a, uh, well, I did two seminars. I did a how to be a dog superhero seminar, which was like a dog training one. And also a grow your pet business fast seminar for um, pet professionals, you know, uh, dog walkers, trainers, groomers, um, daycare owners. And yeah, and that kind of, that kind of changed everything really. As soon as I did that, I did the, that one event and then, uh, I got like a bunch more bookings for that. Um, and then everything it really kind of quickly snowballed really where. So an event like you were at a space and you gave a talk? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So a, a dog training friend of mine, um, uh, Jane Arden, uh, who lives uh, just about uh, near Manchester where um, she got me down to her place and we did the two seminars there and then it just kind of snowballed, you know. Have you seen a change in, in, the kinds of businesses? Well, I guess two questions. Um, are there some business, pet businesses that you're seeing that you work with that are really succeeding during COVID or any that are, that are failing? Yeah, I think, um, I think dog walkers have probably been hit the hardest um, because from what I can see anyway, because in the UK, we've had like a, a furlough scheme where employees have been able to through grants from the government, they've been able to keep paying their employees, but they haven't had to come into work, you know? So that's meant that a lot of 
a lot of people are still working from home, you know, so we're having to come up with other ways to uh, convince the dog owners that actually uh, the adventure or the the daily walk with the dog walker is still a, a vital part of the dog's um, well-being. You know, it's not just about him going out because you weren't there at the time, you know, but uh, so I think they've, I think dog walkers have had the biggest hangover from uh, COVID. Wait, so you mean you trying to get dog owners to keep thinking that this is something that they should keep investing in? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, they're just because they're like at first, you know, when COVID first hit, obviously everybody was in a bit a real state of shock, and everything kind of well, certainly over here, everything really like seized up almost completely. You know, for about eight to ten weeks. Um, but obviously, in that time as well, a lot of uh, so I have a number of um, scanners, dogs, pet scanners who are in my uh, inner circle as well, private clients of mine. And they were like tw just as busy over lockdown because everybody wanted to get a puppy. You know, everybody thought, well, whilst we're stuck at home, let's get a puppy. So there's been and they were really busy. You mean they they put chips in dogs? Uh, no, no. Scanner, sorry, as in uh, like a pregnancy scanner, you know, like these um, scanner, like working at a hospital scanning. Yeah, like they like or... have like a mobile scanning business where they go where they go into the breeder's house with the scanner, check if the dog's pregnant, make sure that they you know they're healthy, that kind of thing. Oh, that's a business that never occurred to me that that existed. Yeah, yeah, this. yeah. So there's like mobile groomers and then mobile pregnancy scanners. Yeah, I guess I guess I like because I live in an urban area and I take for granted that anybody could go to the vet. But yeah, like there are plenty of people in like rural areas yeah. who need other animals scanned too. Wow, right, yeah, mind right, yeah. mind blown. Okay, I don't think that business would take off in New York City. <laughs> I might not travel, no. But um, but yeah, then, then obviously groomers they all shut down, but then there was a big backlog of groomers. So groomers have been really busy and then dog trainers have been really busy. Uh, daycares are a few of the, most of the guys in my world, they're up to like 90%, 80, 90, maybe it's a hundred percent occupancy again in their daycare centers. So yeah, it's a mixed bag really. So what kind of reinventions have you seen? Or, or what kind of grand failures? And also, well, choose you may choose which question to answer first. <laughs> Sorry to bombard you. Um, but so if you're a dog training, I mean, a dog walking like business owner and you have people walking for you, so you just like paid them to stay home basically, right? I mean, we had similar PPP loans in yeah. America. So were those people, and those people were getting paid for like, at my work, we called it ghost walks, like walks that didn't actually happen, but we're going to pay you for them anyway. Like I had people like that, but I had them busy doing other things to like grow the business. Like I, I don't know what other businesses did. Like I'm, I'm curious, like did some people just be like, okay, well you can't walk and you're going to get paid for walking and like do whatever you feel. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there was a lot of that to be fair. I think there, I don't think a lot of people were proactive enough with their, with their staff members, but a lot of most of the guys in my world certainly were very proactive in lockdown at um, like basically being of service to dog owners in their town, you know. So they, they, we had lots of people, there are lots of dog trainers, obviously, who created local um, Facebook, you know, COVID support groups and stuff like that for people with dogs, and they were running challenges and, um, you know, just basically did it for online content to keep themselves top of mind. Um, and often they were able to sell 
um, like some kind of online course or program on the back of that as well. Um, but not just trainers. Uh, we had like we had dog walkers able to do that too. I even had some dog groomers able to do that. You know, they were they were creating a, a local group um, on social media uh, for their clients and for dog owners in their town who were unable to get to the groomers, and they would do like a little five day, um, you know, how to keep your dog's coat. Uh, in tip-top condition and stuff and then sell them a little you know how to how to home groom your dog type of thing on the back of it and obviously you know without scissors and stuff but keeping them nice and tidy <laughs> right so there so you did see some like reinvention yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah now uh, my kind of i mean apart from as far as mainly the dog trainers they're they're immediate because there's a lot of things we can teach online as a dog trainer um, I recently spoke to um, Amy Smith, who is the soundproof puppy app inventor. She's a good friend of mine. You should get her on the show, actually, Annie. It's, a, it's like an app with um, the sound effects on, so for puppies. Uh, oh, I've seen that. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, so Amy runs Amy's puppy, puppy preschool in Sydney. And uh, and she said, like, the, she, she told me that the, sort of the quality of the, the quality of the training through Zoom has been, like, phenomenal. You know that um, because obviously these dogs they aren't in a as stimulating environment. We'll come right back to what we were talking about before, weren't we? You know about um, the dog. You know, and the, the puppies are being taught in an environment where there's no distractions and stuff. So they're they're like racing through the curriculum and stuff. You know, but um, so it, the the immediate winners are dog trainers. But and, and people people have time to work at home with their dogs now in a way that they might not otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and with the sort of the groomers and the daycares and the dog walkers, a lot of the stuff that we were doing was mainly just to like to keep your top of mind, you know. So my advice to anybody who is suffering from a, a local lockdown now um, or anything else, and you know, is you got to keep marketing, you know, you got to keep doing something to a communicate with your existing clients and, and reassure them and let them know that you're there for them. Um, but also to just to be there for the wider dog community in your town, you know, and people remember if you are somebody who, who comes through for them at a time when they're, you know, when they're lacking connections and stuff. So, so yeah, that was the main reason why I kept everybody going. And um, I think it's been a big reason why they've all recovered pretty well from, from what happened. So interesting. So do you, so do people pay you as like a coach then for like a six week period? Yeah, so we have a couple of um, rolling programs really. So there's a pet business in a circle is the the entry level, like the intro level, um, and so we have a like a private Google um, forum. Uh, the guys get access to a bunch of um, online. Uh, the guys get access to a bunch of uh, online materials. We do live question and answers uh, a couple of times a month, and then they get like a 12-page newsletter. And if you can see, I'm showing you this now. They get like a 12-page newsletter once a month as well. So they get this, and in this, I go sort of deep into one particular aspect of marketing for pet business owners, pricing or paper and ink promotions or positioning or how to write emails, all that kind of thing. They get a CD and stuff as well. And, uh, yeah, so I, I try to... I try to give people a really good mix of um, online and offline, you know, printed material, uh, visual stuff, audio stuff. So they get a nice mix because people learn different ways, obviously. 
So interesting. Um, and what do people pay and how long of a period is it for? Uh, so that's just like rolling, really. There's the the PBIC Gold membership that just rolls on. Um, that's like, uh, I think it's 97 um, English pounds a month for that. And then I have two um, smaller um, private coaching um, levels, like the PBIC Diamond and the PBIC Platinum. And these are for um, bigger pet businesses, people who have staff, people who have like number of... Um, uh, different arms to the business, you know, a bit like yourself, really, I guess. You know what I mean? If they've got like training and daycare or um, walking and depending on the needs of uh, of the business, you know, obviously somebody just somebody just starting out as a dog walker or a dog groomer, well, they, they're going to get a lot of information from even just from my, like my lower level, you know, my lower level group. Um, whereas uh, a bigger business like yourself i'm not trying to push myself here i'm just <laughs> like yourself but you you know you have quite um you know you've, you've done a lot of the basics you know you have maybe some quite unique um problems you think that are unique to you and you'll probably benefit from more of a sound and board really than anything else you know i think i think i need to hire you to help me set up something like what you have set up yeah that- yeah yeah well we have a number of people who are doing that now as well in my world you know we've got a um so uh, Katie uh, Guastapalia, she's my, uh, she's one of my platinum members. She has a, a, originally had a field business, you know, like a field hire business, and she's a dog trainer as well. And I don't, I don't know what that is. A field um, hire business, like a field, like where people come and hire uh, the field for an hour, you know, so they can let their oh, like an actual field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're talking from very different places. In like a fenced-in field, you know. Um, so there's field, field rental service is like a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. For for dogs, or you can rent a field for any reason. Well, mainly for dogs, because then obviously it's safe. See, that's what it's for people who you know they want to enjoy like a nice safe um, exercise session with their dog, or maybe their dog has a bad recall and stuff like that. You know, so. Uh, but anyway. I- Wait, hold on, wait, I'm just, like, I didn't know another, I didn't never know this was a thing. So people like say like, hey, I have a big field. You can rent it out for your dogs to play. Yeah. Oh my God. Never, never. For sale, Annie, you should know that. I, yeah, but I don't know anybody who has a field. Actually, I guess I do. Not in New York City. But, well, I mean, I do. There's a lot in, there's a lot in the UK now. There's hundreds of them. Of fields for dogs that you can rent. Yeah. By the hour. Yeah. So she has a field rental yeah, service. Yeah, and it's field business. And she just recently cool. set up a, um, her own like dog training um, club. And I've got another um, dog trainer who is kind of, she's done dog training for many, many years. Carol Clark, she's the doggy doctor. She did actually used to be a doctor. That's why she's called the doggy doctor. Um, but Carol is um, setting up as a sort of reinventing herself as a, a teacher to other dog trainers, you know, to help them, to give them the confidence to transition from, um, you know, just going on lots of courses to actually go and doing the consults and stuff, you know, so she's helping them with that. And yeah, yeah. So we're helping people. I help people to, you know, fix their business, their immediate business. And then I help them to kind of reinvent and uh, explore new opportunities and stuff as well. Here's two things I've learned as a business owner again, not having gone into a business with the idea I was going to run a business. So I've had a lot of revelations, but one is, one is like, there are a lot of things I could do, but I could pay someone else to do them. And then like, I will have time to do something else, like how to like economize time. Like, you know, like I could put up a shelf 
like I know how to use a drill, but <laughs> like sometimes it's worth it for me to have someone else do that because then I have time to do something else that only I can do. Like that was a revelation. Um, it's not just like, oh, just do it all yourself. You'll just get it done. So I guess like outsourcing, I guess. Yeah, is what you would yeah, do. yeah. Smart. And outsourcing ideally to someone who's like better at something than you are. Um, but the other thing is like sometimes it's just really worth it to like pay people to help you um, like think about things and um, like access things that you wouldn't access otherwise. Like the, the whole consultant world sort of makes sense to me in a way that it didn't because like, you know, for for much of early life, you just kind of as a kid, it doesn't seem like you're paying people to help you. You're just, you know, you're trying to like bump into people who maybe will help you along the way. But you know, most kids aren't like, <laughs> you know, have a pocket full of money trying to get people to teach them things. But as you get older, like, you know, it, it, like we were talking about apprenticing, right? Mm. Like it, it can be very hard to apprentice um, without like paying someone, I think. That can feel, with something like dog training, I I don't know, it, it, it didn't, that's a, just again, something that I guess I never really thought about, about paying paying to learn something rather than the apprentice being like the helpful person to, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, it, it speeds things up, you know, if, you, if you're prepared to pay to get advice for things, it, it speeds things up. And it, what it does as well is... I already made the mistake, so you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, it's, it's fresh eyes as well. You know, so like you and me and everybody else, we're usually too close to the business to spot where things can be changed or where things can be dropped or where things can be pushed. And, you know, and which we need to do to make room for the big new idea that you have, you know. And, and if, you are, if you're sitting on a big idea, then you're gonna, usually going to be far better off reorganizing your existing business. Like you said, outsourcing some stuff. Um, cutting back some stuff or maybe increasing prices to reduce the demand a little bit, what, whatever. There's, a, there's loads of different things we can do. Um, best of doing that before you, you know, try and find time to do the big new thing and, uh, and getting some outside help. It just gives fresh eyes. You know, you get some fresh eyes on the business. You know, I don't always have all of the answers for my guys, but I have most of the answers most of the time, you know, like you said, purely just because we've had the experience and I can pull from, what I've seen somebody else do as well, what I've helped somebody else do in their business. And again, they like you. You built a business about people, <laughs> about people liking you, like you got the dogs to like you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I assume they like you, otherwise they wouldn't keep working with you. And clearly you're a very likable guy. The other question I, I had um, was about uh, new people that um, are contacting you. Are, are you seeing, because I, I suspect that, um, you know, I got into... I, I sort of decided to figure out my plan B career around like in around 2009, 2010, like when, you know, the, like when everything crashed mm -hmm. and um, I, I just sort of realized I, I needed to do something else. Um, I think that happened for a lot of people around then. And I feel like we're, we're living, I'm guessing in a moment where there are a lot of people like I, I was thinking about, you know, maybe I could become a dog trainer. Do you think that's the case? I, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I really do. I, th I was the same. So I was at 2011 when I started mine. So it would have been early 2011 when um, well, we were a little bit behind you guys anyways, regards kind of the economic climate and stuff. But it was slap bang in the middle of uh, the last financial crisis. So so yeah, it was. It felt like a good time to me 
to do it, to, to make the leap. And I think there'll be a lot of people now um, who are, you know, thinking, do I really want to go back to doing what I was doing before? Um, do I, you know, and a lot, you know, lots of businesses will be closing at the same time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there'll be a lot of people, I think, who, who will step up. And certainly I've, I've uh, just recently ran a challenge, actually, like a, a dog walkers business challenge. And yeah, we had a bunch of people who, because I've actually helped a lot of people to do what I did, you know, to go from being employed to running their own kind of premium um, pet business. So, yeah, I get I get a lot of uh, satisfaction from that, you know, from helping people to do to make the leap like what I did. That's so cool. And now your 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 sons are doing it with you, right? Yeah. So my eldest son, Alex, he's uh, he's the adventure manager here. And, uh, <laughs> I like that title. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and yeah, and he's um, he's been doing this for about three or four years now. Um, my youngest son, uh, he's doing his A-levels. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but the big sort of move this year was, again, talking about um, making a big leap. We, we just, we've been talking about this for a long time. Beth, my wife, she was a deputy head teacher um, and really quite a stressful job. She enjoyed it, but, you know, it was very stressful. Um, so this year in January, February, we, uh, well, we took the decision at Christmas. And then in February, she told the boss that she was, um, going to be leaving and just now she's now she's full-time here as like operations manager and so she's doing all of the all of the stuff that I'm not very good at <laughs> adventure manager I love that I love that that title well tell me tell me about the superhero kind of because uh, I'm looking at your the cover of your books here they're great they're such great little books yeah I mean I, I don't I don't say little like in a, uh, pocket <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like they're physically small, but no, I, but I mean, like they're they're to the point, they're quick reads. Like you cut to the chase. Like you, you, you. I feel like say what what I'm trying to say always, just in a different way, which is like this stuff makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like this is complicated. You can understand this. You don't need some to like speak some magic language. You don't need you know ten thousand pages, right? Like mm -hmm. you've just kind of like cut to the chase here. Like someone could sit down and read this you know book in in I don't know what two hours. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you about is. Um, this amazing caricature that's on the back of the book. <laughs> it is your head in this. Um... What do you mean? That's my whole body. No, I'm only kidding. No. no, your actual body in a superhero outfit that's like gold and super muscly with maroon, a maroon cape and maroon gloves and like a maroon. Um, it's the Iron Man pose. I don't know if you can tell. Cod, cod piece. Let's call it. <laughs> and, boot, and boots. And, but. But it's just it's your head, and then you have the um, smiling, and then <laughs> the best part is you have a tennis ball attached to your waist. <laughs> That's like your your Spider Man yeah. tool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. How, how did this picture come about? You know, I my um, I, I my father was an illustrator and a cartoonist, so I'm particularly interested. Cool, cool. So, um, so the, the credit for that really must go to or the idea for it must go to um, uh, my good friend Vicky Fraser, who was um, I invested in her um, how to write a book course uh, about four or five years ago, and uh, so I, I did that and I, and I started to write the book. And the original title of the book, the the working title of the book, was um, the Dog Audit, because. This is like a course that helps you write. Yeah, write yeah, a book. it was like a course to help you to write a book, you know, and um, 
And the, the, my original working title was The Dog Audit. And that, that is actually a chapter in the book because that was one of the things that I learned from John and Dave was like, you know, you fi- find out what the dog likes. You know, if it, it's pointless using a, uh, you know, a clicker and hot dogs if the dog just likes tennis balls, you know, like let's, let's find out what the dog likes first and make life easy for ourselves. Um, so I did this whole dog audit thing. And Vicky said, and, and, but I had, I had a sentence in the, I think in my, draft first uh chapter or my introduction and i said something like um you know your dog will follow you around like your spider-man or you'll be your dog you can be your dog's superhero you know and it was vicky who said she said that's she said the dog audit she said it's a bit dry you know she said you might want to jazz it up a bit with a superhero thing so that was that was where the whole superhero thing came from and obviously at the time i was talking about using the dog's kryptonite you know and so that sound that kind of sinks in with the whole uh, superhero vibe so yeah that was that was where it came from it's genius it's so great yeah it's true though like audit seems like i picture like you know <laughs> like you're hunched over a calculator putting button put, punching buttons but that could be someone else's brand you know <laughs> sure. the dog we're gonna come audit your business and then give you tennis balls <laughs> <laughs> if only um uh, well, um, I'm, I'm really glad to get to know you. I, I'm just a huge fan of what you're doing and I think it's, it's cool that you're helping others. And, and I would love, I would love to learn from you about how maybe I could help others as well. Um, because I think there's, there's room for, there's room for more of us. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Yeah, there really is hundred percent. And it'd be a natural extension um, from what I know from already talking to you about what you're doing, you know, I think there'll be a natural extension for you to to be able to impact more people's lives and help more people to do, you know, what it is that you that you've that you already do so successfully um, at School for the Dogs. Definitely. Yeah, we can definitely scale that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we have we have a book in the in the works, but um, but uh, right now we're 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 trying to get people to our online course, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of kind of a book. I mean, it's all content coming at you in one form or another. It's just like you said, it's like, how do you learn best? So, yeah, you know, like our online course comes with like a, you know, a textbook. So if you just want to sit down and read something through. Um, <clears throat> well, um, I look forward to talking to you again. This is our second conversation and in, in, in a week and I feel like we, we are going to have to talk next week. Just <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, where where can people find you these days if if they want the full Dominic Hodgson experience? <laughs> well, they can, there's many ways to get the full Dominic Hodgson experience. Um, they can just Google um, Dominic Hodgson dog trainer. That I check out the books on Amazon. There's a... Uh, Think there's about eight books on there now um how to be a dog superhero is the main dog training book uh, i have two pet business um bibles one is walk yourself wealthy that is specifically for dog walkers and then there is the ultimate pet business plan and uh i have a podcast uh called the poodle to pitbull pet business podcast uh which annie is, is uh, was the lovely guest on and yeah if people want to kind of reach out and, and find out if they want to if they want to find out more about what i do with regards to helping them with their pet business uh you can go to growyourpetbusinessfast.com forward slash 33 ideas three three ideas 
and you get uh, 33 marketing um, tips, hints, strategies uh, fired into your inbox one a day for 33 days. And by the end of the 33 days, you can decide whether you think I'm the real deal or whether you think I'm full of it and uh, and then take it from there. Yeah. And we have that's a really and everything, you know, coaching services as well. But join the email list, that'd be the best way to find out more about me. Awesome. Well, let's talk again soon. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I sure hope this recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, Annie. Don't say that. I'm testing out a new community platform. If you like this episode and you would like to discuss it with other podcast listeners, please go to schoolforthedogs.com slash podcast community. Make an account. It's totally free. If you would like to ask any dog training questions, you can do so there as well. Thanks for helping me beta test this new platform. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com.